politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our life, our liberty, our property, to forge a new revolution. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here on this fine Monday, November 14th, the week after. And no, it wasn't a revolution. But you know what? The elections were never going to be the revolution. And the reason is very simple. It's because at the end of the day, we're talking about a lot of fraud or ballot harvesting or breaking elections, uh, making election season and destroying elections. And that's true. They did destroy elections. But the greatest electoral fraud is the existence of the Republican Party as the supposed alternative. And until and unless we get around that point, all these discussions are moot. It's important. It's nice that finally people are engaging in introspection. It's interesting how they could destroy our culture, our economy, our values, our constitution, our legal system, our safety, our security, our health, everything, and Republicans go along with it. And there was no problem. Republicans go along at every issue, at every level, with everything the left wants. And there's no introspection. But, but they lose an election, and oh boy, people are finally upset. You know what? I'll take it. It's a little bit bizarre. It's kind of cute. Oh, you finally realize, like, oh, the GOP did nothing about ballot harvesting. Well, let me tell you something. Not only are Republicans frauds for going along with everything the Democrats want to do, but because they are frauds and go along with Democrats on a number of issues, guess what? That's exactly how the Democrats cemented as much political power as they did. Because when you go along with Democrats on policy, it's not just bad policy it actually enables them to create more voters and more clout. (laughs) And I'm glad people finally realized that. I want to give a couple examples of that today with election law itself, with COVID itself, and with this FTX scandal that everyone's talking about, how Republican policies in Ukraine Republicans were more zealous in supporting Zelensky than even Democrats. That helped money launder a lot of the Democrats' operation. In this case, the second biggest Democrat donor uh, this cycle, the head of FDX that now went bankrupt because of a Ponzi scheme. Think about this. It's not just about mail-in ballots. It's about mail-in Republicans who have spent decades not only siding with Democrat policies, and most recently Ukraine, the homosexual agenda, and COVID fascism. But in doing so, they created more Democrat donors, activist organizations, cultural institutions, and voters. Or shall we say, ballots. So people are on to the right thing that, oh my gosh, what are we going to do about this electoral machine? They're on to the right thing, the extent there are those onto it, the need to get rid of McCarthy and McConnell. And yes, they are on to the right thing to question his Lord Savior, Donald Trump, 
Just because the left and the establishment are doing it for their purposes, it doesn't mean there aren't legitimate problems there. But more broadly than Trump, McConnell, McCarthy, and mail-in ballots, the issue with the Republican Party is the Republican Party itself. And I want to make that very clear. I'm going to go through to you with you an exact summary of the GOP magnitude of power in the red states. And in, in these states, there's no excuse of mail-in ballots or candidate quality, right? Because it didn't hurt them. Or Trump, right? Wherever you are on him, hurt us, harm us. In the red states, he doesn't, he's not harming us, right? And in the red states, they did fine. And most of them continue to get redder. Yet in one after another, we have a bunch of corporatist WEF bots running those states to this day. So until you have an answer for me, how you deal with those states, I don't want to hear about how do you win a presidential election? How do you win the 50-50 national election? How do you win swing states? How do you win blue states? If we're going to continue with this Republican Party itself. So whatever solution we come up with has to address this point. But that's the benefit of those of you who tune into Conservative Review Podcast. Because we don't carry anyone's water. We've been around before MAGA, before Trump. We've been fighting the establishment from day one. And that's why we could offer a broader, deeper, and longer view. There are those that are touching on legitimate points. But kind of like scratching an itch in the back. You're like, okay, I just got the top. And then you try to come under. You get a little bit of the bottom of the itch. But you just can't get dead center. We're going to get dead center. The problem with the GOP is the GOP itself. You and I are the rhinos. That's the problem. And until we recognize that and and find a solution to deal with that, we're going to continue spinning our wheels. We're going to continue spinning our wheels. Now, there is a lot going on. Um, Look, are McConnell and McCarthy part of the problem? Of course. And that's why I'm in full mode to get rid of them. And there is growing momentum with both of them to get rid of them. I was shocked McConnell, even Lindsey Graham and Marco Rubio said, we need to push off leadership elections. So that's a good sign. But the bigger fish is McCarthy because likely, I don't know, they'll have 221 seats, whatever it is they're projecting. Uh, Republicans will have the House. They won't have the Senate. So that's the more important position. I'm all for getting rid of McConnell. But what about McCarthy? So the problem, McConnell, McCarthy, they're they're the problem. But they're not the, the problem. They're a reflection of the problem. It's not just, oh, they're an anomaly. They reflect all of them, all of them running, all of them running for leadership. Scalise for majority leader. Either Jim Banks or Tom Emmer for majority whip. Elise Stefanik as the conference chair, as the number four position. They're all part of the problem and have been. Now, do I think Trump is the problem? No, because the problem long predated him. But my concern always was, is I don't really think he is the solution. And increasingly going forward, 
at a minimum, he is going to be an obstacle to searching for that solution. Exhibit A is he endorsed Kevin McCarthy for a speaker. So, you know, a lot of these guys are like, Daniel, it's not Trump. It's McConnell McCarthy. I'm like, I agree. Okay, so let's get rid of McCarthy. Doop, he comes in there and endorses McCarthy and Elise Stefanik, who's the rhino of all rhinos. And that this has consistently been the problem. In other words, if you want to understand what went wrong in the election, no intellectually honest person could say it was because of Trump. Right? Because even all these House candidates who were consensus candidates, they weren't Trump candidates, they lost too. The, my only blame for Trump is where he actually went in and was with the establishment. Like, let me give you a great example. Alabama keeps getting more conservative, or at least redder in terms of, like, you know, voting Republican. We could have had any any conservative we wanted. He gave us Katie Britt, total rhino. So we're stuck with her now from a red state. This is exactly the problem. So it's a lot more nuanced than like, oh, the establishment is trying to get rid of Trump. So you're either with Trump or you're with the establishment. No, some of us actually predated that and were trying to fight it when it was cool. Before it was cool. And Trump's getting in our way. I mean, let me tell you, this is embodied in the fact that they're somehow saying, oh, the DeSantis people are supporting McCarthy. I like, I don't know what this conspiracy is, whatever. But I could tell you personally, DeSantis hated McCarthy, and he actually was one of the leaders in trying to get rid of him in his infancy. So if you remember, um, I don't have the article in front of me, but there's a roll call, roll call article from June 16, 2014. So we're talking about more than eight years ago. It was in the spring of 2014, Eric Cantor loses his election. Sitting majority leader, downed in a primary. Shocker. Dave Bratt defeated him with very little money. What was the GOP response to elevate the current whip at the time who was Kevin McCarthy, who was a stupider version of Eric Cantor to majority leader? And that you know, that's kind of what uh, DeSantis is quoted in a roll call article back then. He supported Raul Labrador, who did a last ditch effort to challenge him. Obviously, he only had a few dozen people supporting him. And he said, we're not learning the lesson from this election. So for those of you who think that DeSantis is some new kid on the block who just kind of found, you know, populism, he he's, he opposed McCarthy from day one, yet Trump, even after eight years of treachery from McCarthy, is endorsing him. So what do you want me to do with that? What am I supposed to do with that? So Daniel, so we need DeSantis as president. Well, I'm not a po- I would love nothing more than for him to be president. Honestly, I don't know if anyone could win, and even if they do, I don't think you could fix anything. So what is the solution? Well, again, let's 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 focus on the problem. Now, first, our sponsor today, unlike the GOP with which is all pain and no gain, we gain nothing from it. What about upside? Something that there's only an upside and no downside. So obviously, it's quite clear that the price of food and fuel is going to go up without any backstop at this point. Upside is an app where you you register with, with Upside, and they have a list of food and fuel, you know, supermarkets, restaurants, and gas stations in your area 
where rather than just getting the dinky 1% cash back on your credit card, by using Upside, so first off, download the app, use my promo code CONSERVATIVE, and you'll get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. So that's free $5, okay. Then claim an offer for whatever you're buying. They have, they have different deals, and you check in. So let's say it's the Shell station around the corner. You'll often save 40, 50 cents per gallon um, with cash. I mean, it's cash back. So, you know, you link your account or PayPal or eGift. They have different ways of doing it, and that's how you collect the money. Um, upside users are earning more than a million dollars every week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating. My wife and I use it every time we fill up at the pump now. So, again, download the free Upside app. You just go into uh, iTunes stores, put in Upside, and use promo code CONSERVATIVE to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code CONSERVATIVE. So, folks, again, I, I'm, not, I'm not against Trump. It's not like, oh, my gosh, Trump's the problem. I've been fighting the establishment since before he was a thing. But the problem is, more often than not, he's getting in our way, supporting the establishment's candidates and ideas, while also, yes, turning people off. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but when you put out a press release on Friday out of nowhere, making fun out of Glenn Youngkin, and Glenn Youngkin is not kind of my cup of tea, but Youngkin never even said anything about Trump. He literally, it was the lieutenant governor. Uh, Youngkin never said anything. And he's like, Youngkin, that's a Chinese-sounding name. You sound like a five-year-old. Like, is that really what we need? You know, the media is going to turn even a saint who's on our side into a dirtbag. Okay? But it helps not to come up front with someone that acts like a dirtbag. I mean, I, I just don't see in any scenario headed forward why he's a help. And I don't even mean that I can never support him for president. I just don't want to talk about that. My position now is getting rid of McCarthy, getting rid of McConnell, fighting for medical freedom, getting rid of the vaccines, and working in about 22 or so red state legislative sessions to just run up the score and fortify them as constitutional sanctuaries and making them as good as Florida. That is my agenda. My agenda is not defined by whether I'm for Trump, against Trump. I don't care about Trump. But the problem is he won't shut the hell up. So tomorrow night, he wants to announce for president. Even if you're the biggest supporter of that, any intellectually honest person would admit, lie low a little bit, lay off of that, give us a couple months to work on this, and announce next year. But it's all about him. So, I mean, what am I supposed to say? Ooh, I'm too scared to say anything. I don't want to turn off listeners because Trump is God. It's enough of that already. My, my position, as you well know, as you well know, I mean, obviously, if DeSantis runs, it's hard to imagine I wouldn't support him. But I honestly don't think anyone could fix this at a federal level. He needs to be the head of the new national divorce. That's why, in full transparency, and I'm, I'm going to make maybe make t-shirts and paraphernalia, I, Daniel Horowitz, I am supporting Lisa Murkowski for the GOP nomination. My girl, Lisa. And you know why? Because we get that anyway. All of you are probably chuckling. Ah, like, you know, yeah, Lisa Murkowski. 
Murkowski versus Biden. Because that's what we get anyway. That's exactly what we get anyway. With the duopoly, with the uniparty. So you know what? I want to make it blatant. I want to take away these sideshows, these band-aids. You're never going to fix that in this dynamic. You need to see how to change tactics. It's not just, oh, so we need this type of candidate for Senate or this type of candidate for president. You need to start figuring out in the areas that you're able to control, despite the media, despite the FBI collaboration, despite big tech, despite big corporations, despite, um, you know, superior funding. All that's a problem. Despite the abortion issue, despite quality candidates, despite mail-in ballots, all that, there's a number of states where Republicans have significant amount of power, and they're not going to lose it, and if anything, it's growing. Why do all those states, at a policy level, look like communist states? Why are we only talking about Florida? Why? And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Let me read to you a blast from the past. Before I ever could have imagined he'd become governor of Florida, much less a presidential candidate, potentially. June 18th, 2012. So almost 10 and a, 10 and a half years ago. I was publishing articles, then columns at redstate.com. I was a writer there. I wrote in a couple of places. That was one of them. And I also did PAC work. It's not around anymore. It's called the Madison Project. And I made an endorsement. Ron DeSantis for Congress in Florida 6. This was the primary for the House seat, you know, where he lived, kind of the area between St. Augustine and Daytona Beach. And I'm just going to read to you what I wrote at the time. Florida has been shaken up by redistricting more than most states, leaving behind a number of open and newly drawn districts. While the state sports a large Republican delegation of 19, only a few of them are conservative. This year provides us with an opportunity to invigorate the delegation with some bold-colored conservatives. The new conservative 6th District, which covers the northeast coast between Jacksonville and Daytona Beach, may deliver us the boldest color of all, Ron DeSantis. DeSantis is truly one of the superstars of the 2012 election cycle. Again, keep in mind, this is 10 years ago. He articulates every conservative policy issue in such an intelligently cogent manner that he leaves no doubt as to how he will vote in Washington. His understanding of our nation's founders, constitution, and history is so deep and comprehensive that none of the contemporary squishes would impress or intimidate him into violating our nation's deep-rooted principles of limited government and free markets. At just 33 years old, DeSantis has accomplished more and has exhibited a deeper intellect than most people twice his age. And, and listen to these things I'm saying at the time. He has the, and, and I just want to keep it keep in mind here. I had no idea that he, you know, one day grow to this position. Here I am interviewing like a bunch of just House candidates and primaries and red districts. And, you know, most of them are just unimpressive platitudes and whatever. So keep that in mind. This is what I noticed. It's very hard to impress me. So he has the unique distinction of holding degrees from Yale and Harvard Law while also regarding our contemporary federal Leviathan with disdain. His experience at these universities actually strengthened his resolve to fight against the prevailing philosophy at these schools, a philosophy that he considers to be, quote, hostile to to religious faith, unreasonably critical of America, and antagonistic to the free enterprise system. That that must have been a quote 
you know, from him when I when I interviewed him for the endorsement. Um, after graduation, DeSantis joined the Navy and served in the JAG Corps, Corps as a advisor to the Navy SEALs. He dealt with Guantanamo Bay detainees and understands the dangers of granting al-Qaeda terrorists Miranda rights. DeSantis knows the difference between civil liberties and terrorist liberties, a distinction that is all too often muddled by members of Congress. DeSantis retired from active duty a few years ago and now serves in the Naval Reserves. While Ron has no prior, prior political experience, his understanding of our founding principles and free enterprise is better than any political experience. In 2011, he wrote a book, Dreams from Our Founding Fathers, First Principles in the Age of Obama, which reveals an author who fully understands the role of government as originally intended. While discussing current issues with DeSantis, there was no equivocation that we usually see with candidates. Student loan rate cuts, quote, so like I say, hey, what did he think on that issue? Quote, this is a quote from him. This will only further inflate the student loan bubble, which will soon burst, said DeSantis. What about the Violence Against Women Act? It is unconstitutional and also inefficient. In other words, I pick things that Republicans at the time, right now it might not pack a punch. They were scared to touch. Um, many candidates we have interviewed this year tend to take the, quote, waste, fraud, and abuse route when discussing which areas of government they would cut. DeSantis is not hesitant to list a number of full departments that he would eliminate. Quote, don't make government work like a business. It's inherently inefficient, contends DeSantis. Quote, you need to be intent on reducing size, scope, and influence of government. Um, we are desperately in need of more members who understand the proper role of government. This is why the Madison Project considers it an, an, a true honor to endorse Ron DeSantis for the open seat in Florida District 6. And the rest, as they say, is history. So, you know, you might start hearing this stuff from the Trump worshipers, like sowing doubt, who is this guy, what is this guy? Just so you know, he's always been that way. And he was fighting McCarthy before it was cool, and now even after it's cool, Trump still won't join, and in fact, he's supporting Kevin McCarthy. Now, first, a word on Kevin McCarthy. So, I mentioned last week that Chip Roy would be running against him. The you know, Freedom Caucus turns out they have a different plan, so Chip's not running. Andy Biggs is the one that's going to go up against him. Um, Andy obviously is a big friend. I was going to have him on the show today, but as you can imagine, he just couldn't fit it into his schedule. So he is going to challenge him. The vote's going to be Wednesday for a speaker. Andy Biggs is on the board of the Freedom Caucus. He's the chairman from last session in Congress. Um, he was actually he actually was the speaker of the House in Arizona in the legislature. So you know, there's actually is experience there. Um, here's how this plays out. Here's the importance of it. So again. McCarthy obviously is going to win because it's a conference vote and you only need a majority of Republicans to nominate him for the speaker on the floor. So they're going to win. But the point is to show, even though it's a private vote, but it will leak out to the media, not necessarily who voted what way, but the total tally, the number. So we're going to find out how many voted for Biggs. Now, obviously, Republicans are only going to have something like a three-seat majority. So it only takes a few to deny him the 218 on the floor, and obviously he'll have many more than that. So that's the point of running Andy Biggs. Now, what is the end game? The end game is to build support right now to just say, look, and I'm, I'm going to make up a number. Hopefully it's a strong number. Okay, we have 40, 50 people that do not want you as speaker, and you really need almost everyone, and they're not going to do it. So we're not going to budge. You will be embarrassed on 
you know, the newer Republican majority, very slim majority, they don't have much margin. And in your first day inauguration of the GOP majority, January 3rd, you will be embarrassed on the House floor and you will lose that vote. And again, just to be clear, if 50 Republicans vote for someone other than McCarthy on the floor, it doesn't mean that Pelosi or whoever the Democrat leader is would win because they still would only have a plurality. You need a majority. So that there's no concern of that. Um, so then the question is, what happens? Well, the point is, we start building support now so that you have pressure, conservative media gets involved. It would certainly help if Mr. Trump would get involved on the right side instead of the wrong side. And then it would make it clear that we have to reach a consensus. Now, I love Andy Biggs to death. He's a dear friend. But because he is such a conservative, it I mean, obviously, he's not going to be speaker because then – you know, the other side, the establishment guys will say, okay, fine, but then we're not going to give the support for your guy. So ultimately, you're going to have to have some sort of consensus pick. I'm going to tell you, and this is not my final choice, I'm just trying to throw out different ideas of what we're looking for. We're looking for someone, we're not going to get one of us purely to be speaker. That's never going to happen because the Republican Party stinks. I mean, that's that's how it is. It's a reflection of its members. But to at least get the most conservative guy that also that, that could win, that commands the respect among you know all factions, and also has a fresh message and a fresh image that could really appeal to a lot of things. And I did not I wasn't the one I don't know who first floated this, but I actually think what what could be the best idea now is to float a guy like Lee Zeldin. He's not even speak he's not even a sitting member of the house. You don't have to have a sitting member of the house to be speaker. They wouldn't vote, they're not a member, but they would control the Republican majority. Okay, the floor the 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 legislation, the committee assignments, they could elect they could elect anyone. They could elect me as speaker. They could elect you as speaker. They could elect Trump as speaker. They could elect DeSantis as speaker theoretically. I think Lee Zeldin makes a lot of sense. Because he's a blue state Republican, but the most conservative you'll ever get from a blue state. And the truth be told, he, and, and it's not like, oh, you know, you're disenfranchising people, you're picking someone who's not even a member. He was just a member, and he could have been a member. He gave up a safe seat to run for governor, and in doing so, he netted at least three more Republican seats. He could tell people that he is the one that got the majority. Also, one of the concerns is that you know, in, in a, these legislative fights, you're going to have like the New York type of Northeast rhinos that are going to block us. So it does help to have a guy like Lee Zeldin, who is the kind of like the granddaddy of the New York delegation, even though he's not officially a member. I, I actually think that would be a very exciting pick. Um, let me know what you think, Daniel Hurwitz at startmail.com. But the point is, you got to get rid of McCarthy. Got to get rid of McCarthy. So that is the latest on the speaker's fight. But more broadly, we're all sitting and pulling our hair out. Man, what do we do? A 221 to 214 majority. I mean, we don't know exactly, but something like that. Man, it's very narrow. We don't have the Senate. What are we going to do? And I, I want to shock your conscience here and explain what, what, what we can and should be doing. Let me give you a little bit of a tour of the states, the red states. Right, This was a horrible election. Very bad. Unbelievable. Uh, an election that should have seen like 100 Democrats lose, and instead 
it actually went backwards. Because technically, technically, just so you know, um, it's not just that they only gained a few seats. It's actually, technically, they lost. If you would have had last year's map and reapportionment, they actually would have lost. So they had 212. Let's say they'll pick up nine. I'm making it up. I don't know exactly. But let's say nine. They actually would have lost on net. Because um, the only reason they gained is because of reapportionment. So a bunch of red states got just new seats. Like Montana got another seat. Um, or Oregon, even though it's a blue state, but Republicans were able to win that new seat. Then you had redistricting. DeSantis, any one factor owned. By the way, another fun fact, if not for DeSantis, it could be they wouldn't have had it. You know, Republicans, the Republican legislature was ready to put out a map that would have given Democrats needless seats. DeSantis said, screw it. He vetoed it and called a special session, and he got what he wanted. People forget that. People forget that. It could be the majority is just from him. Again, there's several factors. There's reapportionment, there's redistricting, but particularly his redistricting, the the New York courts that threw out the Democrat map, so you had more of a chance. And then Lee Zeldin, that, you know, because he overperformed, we got more seats there in New York. But if you would take that out of the equation, they actually lost seats. Now, how you have an R plus seven Republican electorate well, Republican ballot for House and still have that is astounding. Now, I know it's closing more like R plus five now, but that's only because they're counting California now. But but we already had these losses even before we got to California when it was still R plus seven. So that doesn't make any sense. I don't have an answer. There's a lot of different theories. They're all a little bit true, but there's problems. Each theory someone has, I could bring you an example that it doesn't work in that state. I don't know what the answer to that is, but something is funny about that. And maybe one day we'll find out. But either way, either way, if you want to know why we are where we are, how tragically ironic the Republican Party under Trump is what originated the lockdowns. Trump and Republicans in Congress and governors originated COVID fascism. That is what allowed these guys to perfect this mail-in, drop-box ballot harvesting operation, which might likely create them a permanent, at least presidential majority, forever. I want you to think about that. It's not just that Republicans screw us on policy, and then our voters don't seem to care about that. They just like, oh, but, but they're screwing us not winning elections properly. They don't win elections because they agree with Democrats on policy. COVID, among many things, created this thing. If I don't know how to explain it, but from a political science perspective, the last two elections don't make sense. All I could tell you is they're the post-COVID ballot harvesting operation elections. They built that. To this day, Trump supports his lockdowns and praised warp speed a couple couple days ago. How am I supposed to forget that? Daniel, you're, you're helping the establishment defeat MAGA. I'm like, well, Trump is helping the establishment defeat MAGA. Like, what, what do you, 
I used to have a line throughout Trump's presidency, those of you who are with us before COVID, obviously the show has grown a lot. I always said, look, I can't be more pro-Trump than Trump is pro himself. Like, what do you want me to do? So Republicans had power and they went along with the early voting. For years, I was like, why are we doing this? They went along with it. They went along with the COVID stuff. And again, the FTX stuff, if we have time to get into that more. This cryptocurrency exchange from this kind of this Blakeman Freed guy, this young leftist donor, second largest donor, it turns out there might have been the money was laundered through Ukraine. Ukraine was the home of the Russian hoax. The Zelensky regime worked with the Democrats to take down Trump, yet all the Republicans, including a lot of pro-Trump Republicans and Freedom Caucus guys, they were more pro-Ukraine than, than, than Biden was. So everyone's like, how is it that we're at this point that Democrats cemented some sort of juggernaut even when the people don't agree with them on, on policy? The country's going to hell. Everyone recognizes that. People, you know, you know, three-quarters of the country, four-fifths of the country are dissatisfied and even angry about the direction of the country, yet they win. The answer is because Republicans are the ultimate ballot fraud. The problem with the Republican Party is the Republican Party. It's the controlled opposition. And it runs deeper than Trump failures and even McCarthy and McConnell. It's all of them. They're all like that, with the exception of a few people. And this is the main point I wanted to get out today. Why is it that we're only talking about Florida? Why is it that Florida is getting redder and the and, and the and and the you know early voting they do have early voting they have a lot of early voting there it didn't cost us okay we don't seem to have that problem there oh the abortion issue daniel but the abortion issue didn't hurt us there why not I, we'll we'll get to that none of the factors hurt us there do you know on the Cook PVI, Partisan Voter Index, Florida is rated R plus three. Now, admittedly, that is going to accelerate. It's trending very much in the other direction. But as of now, it's rated R plus three. There are 24 states that are at or more than R plus three. There might be like two that are also R plus three. So if you take that out, maybe there's 22 states that have a more Republican PVI than Florida. Yet none of them come close in terms of the accomplishments, not just in policy, but in culturally upending the state. It's not just, oh, Ron does good policies and the other Republicans do bad policies. That's true. But it's when you do the bad policies, you help create more Democrat culture, voters, organizations, donors, structure. We talked about that with the election law, with COVID law, with all these things. And conversely, the more you crush them, the more you crush their ability to campaign. The two work together. So I want to go, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about the dominance here. It's sad, terrible. It looks like they're now going to lose a trifecta in Arizona. Okay? Michigan, Pennsylvania, gone. It's sad. But why are we only talking about one state? 
Let me go through. I'm going to give you the numbers, the majorities in all the red states or, or like the super majority red states. There's a couple more that they control. I don't even have on the list. Now, the numbers in some of these, most of them, they're correct. They might be one or two off just because there's still counting going on in close races. Alabama, Alabama, Republicans control the Senate 27 to 8. 27 to 8, they control the House 77 to 28. Yet, they had full-bore COVID fascism because their governor is a rhino from hell that literally wagged her finger and said all the deaths are coming from the unvaccinated. Okay? So the fraud is the Republican Party. I don't want to hear about, oh, we can't win enough seats. Everyone was hoping, Daniel, I wanted this beautiful 53 to 47 majority. So I'll give you 27 to 8, 77, 28. The ballot harvesting is not a problem. The candidate quality is not a problem. Trump's not hurting us there. What's the excuse? Arkansas, Senate, 29 to 6. House, 82-18. Republicans really picked up a lot this, uh, this cycle. But we had, we had, what's his name? Asa Hutchinson, his governor. And now, you know, Sanders, who was Trump's spokeswoman, empty suit. Nothing there. Florida, okay, Florida is the one exception. They now have 28 to 12 in the Senate, 85 to 35 in the House. Georgia, okay, as much as Georgia at a federal level were losing, the Senate seats, whatever, president, but, um, you know, they have the governor, whatever you think of him. And the Senate, you know, it's not like super majority status, but strong. 33 23, House 101 to 78 from the last count I saw. Idaho, 28 to 7 in the Senate. 59 to 11 in the House. Yet we have a WEF bot as governor. Indiana, 40 to 10 in the Senate, 71 to 29 in the House. Talking about a four to one majority there in the Senate. Yet the governor, as we speak, is attending the COP27, the, the global warming conference in Cairo, that is the centerpiece, that is the ground zero of the transhumanist Fourth Reich genocidal agenda to have permanent destruction of food, fuel, and, 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 and medical care to turn us into bug-eating, sewage-drinking, transhumanist bots. That is the Indiana governors there. How does that happen? Iowa, again, trending very much red. Senate, 34 to 16. House, 64, 34. Kansas, yes, they still bizarrely have a Democrat governor, but they could override. 29 to 11 in the Senate, 85 to 40 in the House. Kentucky, 31 to 7 in the Senate, 80 to 20 in the House. So there still is a Dem governor we're going to have on Savannah Maddox. Um, I was going to have her on today, but then a lot more happened. We'll have her on this week. She's running for governor. It's the primaries. It's next year. Primaries in May. That's the next big election. Kentucky governor election. I'm supporting Savannah Maddox, the most conservative uh, woman in the state legislature. They could override everything Bashir did during COVID. Nothing. They let it go on. 
31 to 7 and 80 to 20. Everyone's like, think, think about this. We're like, okay, you know, we, we hope Republicans would get 53 seats. There was a time we thought maybe they could get 54 seats. What if I tell you you have 80-20 and yet they go along with everything? Again, I'm the only one making this observation. I'm the only one doing this. Because everything everyone's saying doesn't address this point. Louisiana, Senate, 26 to 11, House, 68, 34, and three like independents. So two to one, and more than two to one in the, in, in the, in the Senate. There, again, there is a Democrat governor. He's term limited. Next year, they actually do have, just like Kentucky governor's election, they'll easily get a trifecta supermajority there. Mississippi, Senate, 36, 16, House, 75, 42, 3, and that's the third state where they have a governor's election next year. We'll probably be stuck with the rhino jerk Tate Reeves as governor because he's running again, but they'll increase those majorities a lot. Missouri, Senate, 24-10. House, 111-52, more than 2-1. to 1. Montana, Senate, 34-16. House, 69-31. For the first time, they picked up supermajorities in both houses this time. Um... You know, but it didn't matter anyway because they had the the governor anyway. Nebraska, it's a unicameral uh, Senate. They don't have a House. It's just one body. It's only state like that, 32-17. North Dakota, Senate, 43-4, to House, 82-12. to They almost got wiped off the mat there. I think even the four Dems were kind of close races. Um the governor is literally a business partner of Bill Gates. And that's why you have what you have there. Ohio, Senate, 26 to 7, House, 68 31, supermajorities. Oklahoma, 40 to 8. Okay, so it's more than 4 to 1. House, 81 to 20. South Carolina, they just picked up supermajorities. Uh, Senate, 30 to 16. House, 88 to 36. South Dakota, 31 to 4. Actually, the Democrats did pick up a seat. They had three. Now they have four or whatever. 31 to 4. House, 63 to 7. Yet the healthcare cartel and the Chamber of Commerce owns Christy Nome and they own the state. Tennessee, Senate, 27 to 6. House, 75 23. They picked up some seats. But the governor is a pro-jailbreak, open borders, refugee resettlement, um, chamber of commerce jerk. Texas. The, Texas, they are actually underperforming, but still they have enough control. Senate 19 to 12, House 86-64. Interestingly enough, they, they maybe picked up one seat in each chamber. They barely moved it while Florida picked up supermajorities. Very interesting contrast in how... DeSantis changed the culture of Florida, whereas um, Abbott did not because he's just a Chamber of Commerce rhino. Utah, Senate, 23 to 6. House, 61 to 14. They picked up a bunch of seats there, but you know, they have major problems there. Wyoming, 28 to 2 in the Senate, 55 to 5 in the House. So those are probably the, on paper, the strongest majorities. There is some hope there. A number of conservatives did win. I'm going to have on my buddy Chuck Gray, who was the leader in the House, and now he became Secretary of State. 
Um, so we're going to try to fight there. But again, until now, I mean, the governor, everyone, they're a bunch of leftists. And then I want to highlight West Virginia. Senate, three to, 30 to 4. 30 to 4. House, 88 to 12. So that's like the same size as the United States Senate. Imagine Republicans getting an 88 to 12 majority. Yet this is a state where Jim Justice criticized Biden from the left and said, how dare you say, remember when he slipped out, the emergency is over with, we still need more people to get vaccines. He just said it like a month ago. So you're starting to get the feeling, folks. Here are 24 states with GOP supermajorities in the legislature. In all but Louisiana, they either have the governor or the ability to govern from the legislature with veto override majorities. Next year, they'll flip Louisiana. Also, I didn't include North Carolina, where they have a supermajority in the Senate and one short of supermajority in the House. They're definitely going to get the governorship back next time. You'll have a super, another supermajority trifecta. Alaska is just a disaster, so I didn't even include that. Um... So that would give you, that would give you, you know, by, by then, by that point, that would give you 25 states with supermajority trifectas. Okay? Why is it we're only talking about Florida? Why? And the answer is, like I always say, do Daniel's Paper test. Take out two sheets of paper. One Democrat, one Republican. On the Democrat, list the number of Democrats that meaningfully dissent from the Democrat Party line on a single major issue, much less numerous issues, even from a red state Democrat, much less a blue state. And you'll really have trouble finding a single one because Joe Manchin really does not. He's a fraud. And even then, it's just because they're holding a freaking state that I just said they have 88 to 12 majorities in the legislature and not a single county has voted for a Democrat for president in the entire state since, what, 2000, 2004, something like that. So, yeah. Now go to the Republican one. And I'd say, find me, list the Republicans that dissent from conservatism on a single issue. But the problem is they all do. You'd have to find... List me a Republican that agrees with us on a majority of issues. And you could probably peel off a corner of that paper and still have a lot of white blank space. Therein lies the problem, folks. Now, it is true that no matter what party we would build, we would have to go up against this juggernaut that they've created electorally. But the reason they were able to create it is because the Republican Party was always a fake opposition, and that's embodied through COVID. I mean, let me give you an example. Who is one of the best senators? One of the ones that's calling for an overhaul of the way the GOP thinks? Josh Hawley from Missouri. And I agree with him. He's calling on McConnell to step down. He was the first one. Kudos to him. He puts out on Twitter last week, Washington Republicanism lost big Tuesday night. When your agenda is cave to big pharma on insulin, cave to Schumer on gun control and Green New Deal, and tease changes to Social Security and Medicare, you lose. Now, I don't disagree with him, but he says when your agenda is to cave to big pharma, so my eyes were reading that, I thought the next word would be on the vaccines, or at least on COVID. 
He says on insulin, like the price of insulin. Now, again, I'm not debating that, but like, what? Like, that's your thing and not, I mean, the COVID freaking genocide that, I mean, we have so much more data. I haven't, you know, we're focusing a lot on the politics, so I haven't been able to go through the the new studies and data. This thing is, it is, like, put it this way. Put it this way. There is a Swiss study that came out recently that um, estimated one in 27 women who got the mRNA COVID shot had myocardial injury, like subclinical myocarditis. They actually found it more in women than men, at least on the subclinical level. Do you understand what that means? If you take just the number of people in the United States who got two shots, I'm not even taking one because that's more, but two is like 225 million, and you take one in 27. Now, I know it's only for women. Maybe when men it was a little less, so you have to subtract a little bit, but I'm just trying to give you a rough math. That would be six million people with subclinical myocarditis. But worse, they found 100% had elevated troponin levels. That means that there is some sort of heart damage. Hopefully, doesn't necessarily mean it's permanent. That it, that alone, just one organ, most important organ, and we know there's tens of thousands of other maladies this thing causes. There it. And Republicans, and, and I don't mean to pick on Josh Hawley. I'm only doing it because he's in the top three or four in the Senate. You know, better members. And he won't, COVID never happens. Like, and and you cave to Big Pharma on insulin. Like, what, huh? Like, what, that, that's, what are, you, what are you talking about? It's as if COVID never happened. I'm saying, is it really a coincidence that in the same night that there was a blue wave, there was a red, a red wave only in one state, and literally with the very demographics they got crushed with in every other state, DeSantis won when he's the only one. Like, there's a lot of things he did. I think people liked his governance. They liked the hurricane. But he was most notoriously known for the COVID stuff. And with other Republicans, now there were a few others that did run on it, but it's not enough. Like, like for example, Ron Johnson. He, he did win re-election, but it was very narrow. Ron John, again, he's just a senator. So he holds some hearings. He talks, whatever. He didn't have the opportunity to govern in accordance with our principles, to remake the culture. And that's what I wanted to get to today. Some, some interesting data points. There's a lot of talk about how Republicans got crushed with Gen Z and with unmarried women. Now, there's obviously a lot of overlap in those two data points, but unmarried women and Gen Z, like defined as, or or they defined as under 29. I don't know exactly when their cutoff is, but under under age 29. If you look at 18 to 24-year-old voter preference by state, according to exit polls. 18 to 24-year-olds, okay? They're, they're killing us. Michigan, 64 to 35 Dem. So a 30-point spread for Dems. Pennsylvania, a 50-point spread for Dems. Nevada, a 27-point spread for Dems. Georgia, a 33-point spread for Dems. Texas, 
Look at this, Texas. A 36-point spread for Dems. So Dems won them in most of these pivotal states by 30 to 35, 40 points. You come to Florida, 54-44, just a 10-point net. So what that tells you, because Texas is a red state, so even in the red states, they're getting crushed. But, you know, they have enough other voters that it compensates, and, you know, a lot of them, especially Gen X and maybe older millennials, are turning more conservative. So, you know, whatever. But in other states is where it kills us. But it's still, nonetheless, in all those states, the young people are killing us. Not in Florida. Why? Because DeSantis made it cool, culturally. He changed it culturally. It's not just, oh, I'm elected Republican. He governed in accordance with the way we always wanted. That creates Republican voters, if you think that's a good thing, or conservative voters, whatever. As opposed to other Republicans, they're helping create Democrat voters by supporting the garbage policies. Now masking is over with for now, but let's say last year when it was still going strong in the schools. I bet you if you would poll teenagers about do you support masking in schools, and let's compare, forget about the blue states, but like Oklahoma teenagers, Texas teenagers, Idaho teenagers, and then poll Florida teenagers, I bet you the results would have been much more anti-mask in Florida because DeSantis made it a thing. Kind of exemplified in that famous uh, video where there were a bunch of college students behind him, like there was some sort of photo op and they were wearing masks. He's like, take that off, like take that garbage off. He made it cool. Even though, and here's here's the irony, and I mean this very endearingly. DeSantis is a traditionalist like me. He's very not a cool guy in the sense of what you would think would appeal to the transhumanist generation. In fact, he's not cool at all. He's not charismatic at all. That His charisma is his accomplishment, is his heart, his, his views, his governance. That, 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 that makes it all the more astounding of all people to appeal. And then let, let me move over to another demographic thing. Everyone's talking about unmarried women. I think they lost... Nationally, I don't have the number state by state. You could dig it out by like some like 30 points, 30 point spread. Do you know in Florida, it was 50 49 Christ? So essentially tied. Unmarried women tied. Now, we're all told that, you know, abortion really drove them. And I think it is largely true. But abortion is only a problem when you suck on every other issue and you're not standing for parental freedom, for bodily autonomy, on medical freedom, on COVID fascism, that that kind of neutralizes it. Do you think that that demographic in Florida is suddenly like, no, like if you would pull them, they'd probably say, yeah, no, I'm against the Dobbs opinion. I want abortion. But overall, it was enough for them to overlook that and vote for him. 
That's what it means when you have a real party. Ron DeSantis is the ultimate control group in this great failed and fraudulent experiment known as the Republican Party because it demonstrates what could have happened for years and could still happen in all those states I rattled off, those supermajorities, the potential power we could have, but we don't have. It didn't have to be this way. So I don't know now what to do with the blue states, what to do even with like these other states and with the mail-in stuff. But what I do know is if you had 2022 or so Floridas, if you had 20 to 22 governors like DeSantis, either you would remake half the country to such an extent it would radiate out to, to at least the kind of next tranche over states, or you would have that national divorce. We would have half the country we can go to that's just so different, but we don't have it. And we don't have it because the Republican Party is a fraud. It was a fraud before McConnell and McCarthy. It was certainly a fraud before Trump. But nobody is speaking to this point. How do you take DeSantis's model in the states with supermajority support? There's no electoral problem. There's no abortion problem. There's no candidate quality problem. There's no Trump turning people off problem. I mean, not you know in a way that's going to be fatal. And the answer is because the Republican Party up and down the ballot is full of utter frauds. I mean, think about it. This is this is West Virginia. This is from Metro News. West Virginia voters have propelled the Republican Party to historic numeric advantages in both the state Senate and the House of Delegates. In the Senate, Republicans won 16 of the 17 seats up for election. They defeated four incumbents, including Senate Minority Leader Stephen Baldwin and four-term Senator Ron Stolings. The Republicans added seven seats to their existing supermajority, meaning Republicans will now hold 30 seats compared with just four for the Democrats. Um... The Republican gains in the House were also substantial. They won 10 more seats, pushing their supermajority to 88, while Democrats hold only 12. At least four incumbent Democrats lost. And Democrats did not even put up a candidate in 21 races. Um, that's the story, folks. But here's the deal. This is from, again, Metro News. I'm going to read to you the end of the article, and therein lies the problem. The overwhelming majorities in the House and Senate are a double-edged sword for the GOP. The expansion of the caucuses means more diverse opinions, making it harder for leadership to focus on the group, uh, uh, focus the group on a particular issue. And here's the problem. And, 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 and let me just end off. Meanwhile, the Democrat Party is left to wonder how it all got away from them. Each election extends the ground it must try to make up in order to become politically relevant again. But what they do is, because the Republican Party is a fake party, they just run as Republican. And the Republican Party accepts them. Jim Justice, the governor himself, was the biggest one. He was a Democrat governor. He flipped. He would have been defeated. But instead, they were like, oh, let's take him. And he's a leftist. This is what they do. See, Democrats have super majorities in states like California, Hawaii, Maryland, Massachusetts, Vermont. 
Rhode Island, Connecticut, right? Why why do they not have that problem? That world becomes so big that then you start having like Republican Trojan horses as part of that majority. They don't have that problem because they run a tight ship. They have a political party. They believe in what they say. So you can't, it's not going to work. You can't have a fraud because they'll be vetted out in two seconds. So until we address this problem, it's not any one person. It's 90% of the GOP leaders in any given state and 60 to 70% of the members are frauds. And, you know, in some state legislatures, that's, that number is decreasing. We are making progress. Maybe in some state houses, it's only 30% of frauds. But that's the problem. So everyone's talking about the higher-hanging fruit. Man, how do we pick the fruit 50 feet up on top of that, that cherry tree? Do we we got to get a truck. We maybe make a makeshift ladder. And I'm like, all right, you know, we, we could talk about that and you know, it's going to be worth talking about that at some point. But I could fill up a lot of baskets and satiate myself with fruit from the stuff I could pick simply at arm's length. Hence the term low-hanging fruit. What are we doing with the low-hanging fruit? And that's what I challenge everyone to come up with some sort of viable path. But we need to stay focused. And Trump announcing for president tomorrow night is the last thing we need at this point. It's going to continue fueling the same nonsense. It's different from saying he caused the problem. The problem long predated him. But do you really think he's the solution? Let me know. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. You can follow me at C19 Truth Bombs on Telegram because I'm still not on Twitter because for all the talk of Elon Musk, so much for that. So much for that. Um, you know, just like the Republican Party, we put our hopes into things, and the more things change, the more they don't. Because we don't properly diagnose the problem, and we don't look for fundamental solutions. We are all about that here. Please give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Send this show to any one of your friends or relatives. Agree or disagree, you got to admit, this is unique content, and that's what we uh, you know, seek to, to, to do. That's what we strive for. I'm not going to sit and repeat the same platitudes everyone else does. We're going to focus on the issues that matter, the strategies that matter, and the way they matter at the time they matter. Long week ahead of us till tomorrow. God bless y'all, and thank you for listening. Thank you.